This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Praise the Lord. Well, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, if you will, please. Acts chapter 1. We've been talking about uh, and teaching a series that we've entitled God, uh, the God, God and Miracles. And we've been teaching for the last several weeks on the miracles in the church. We've looked at miracles in the Old Testament through Moses and Elijah and Elisha and a variety of others and, and things that God did in the Old Testament. We talked a little bit, didn't spend a whole lot of time, but talked a little bit about uh, the miracles that uh, God did through Jesus when he was here on the earth. But uh, the, the whole purpose of this is for us to build our faith where miracles are concerned and gain information so that we know what to believe for. But specifically how to get God working miraculously in our midst. Now, when you say that, I, I have to qualify that because God is doing miracles among us all the time. So um, uh, there are a lot of things that we don't uh, take time to mention and, and uh, some things, as I said, that I don't even find out about till way after the fact and, and, and so forth. So I don't want to make it sound like we're trying to get God to move because he never has because God's moving in our midst all the time. But I believe God wants to do more in the last days. The Bible talks about a last day move of God that's greater than they had in any time in the history of the world. Haggai chapter 2 says the glory of the last day church will be greater than the, than the, the first. Now the first can be interpreted either as Solomon's temple when the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest couldn't stand to minister. Or it can be interpreted to mean the early days of the church that we read about in the book of Acts where people were healed in the streets. I don't care which one of those you use. I'm looking forward to God's plan for the last days. Amen? Well, in order for us to be prepared and, and uh, cooperate effectively with the Lord, we need to know what these things are. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Have you found that yet? Let me, uh, uh, really to get the most out of what we're saying this morning, you need to hear some of the things that were said before. So I'm going to spend a few minutes this morning kind of recapping some things that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. Um, John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, John gives us an eyewitness account of his and the other disciples' conversion or salvation. Here's John's testimony of being saved. They were all huddled in, behind closed doors and, and gathered up because they were afraid of the Jews, the Bible says, and, um, uh, and Jesus appeared and stood in the midst of them. And this is after Jesus' resurrection, of course. And Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Now, either something did or did not happen to them. When Jesus said, receive the Holy Ghost. If something, if Jesus indicates to them that they are going to receive something, but they didn't, then he's a partner to a fraud. He's defrauded them. He didn't say, now wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost. He said, receive the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. So either if something doesn't happen, Jesus has just misled them. Now he tells them what the Holy Ghost is associated with or what Holy Ghost he's talking about when he breathes on them. He says, whosoever sins you remit shall be remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain shall be retained. Well, the remission of sins is salvation. It's the removal of sins. Now when he, he's not giving them specific in, uh, power to save or, or forgive somebody's sins or not to save or forgive somebody else's sins, he's saying whosoever receives, believes in me and receives, they'll receive the Holy Ghost for the remission of sins. Well, that must be what happened to them if he's telling them the truth. If he's not misleading them, then that must be what happened to them. Luke chapter 24 verse 52 tells us something did change about their behavior from that point forward. It says where before Jesus appeared to them, they were behind 
uh, closed doors. They were huddled up for fear of the Jews. It said after Jesus had appeared to them and left them, departed again, it says they were openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. They returned with great joy and were openly in the temple. Now, what would cause a change in them to be willing to go out and amongst uh, the Jews and the, the very ones that had killed Jesus that they were afraid of just a little short period of time before? There had to be a change on the inside of them. Well, no, Pastor Mike, they just were willing to go into the temple because Jesus told them to go into all the world. Well, this crew that was afraid to begin with might have been willing to go into the temple if Jesus was with them after his resurrection. But you can't tell me they would have gone on their own. Something had to change. Something occurred in them. Well, Jesus said it was salvation. Jesus said it was salvation. He was with them a, a period of time, for a period of time, less than 50 days, roughly around 47 days, popping in and out of their lives. You know, I wish we were, con, uh, how do I want to say this? Well, really, I wish Jesus would do that a lot now. But more than that, I wish people knew that he could or would. That changed the way a lot of Christians lived if they thought Jesus might pop in at any moment. Don't you know? Well, that's what happened for the next 47 days. Jesus is in and out. They never knew when to expect him. He'd show up, appear. Sometimes he'd walk through closed doors. Sometimes he'd walk through walls. Sometimes he'd just appear out of thin air. They'd spend time with him. He'd eat lunch with him and then take off. He's back and forth. The Bible says that over 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, the language is kind of interesting there because you can't really tell from the language itself if it's talking about a total of 500 people or if it's talking about a group of 500 people at one time. Nevertheless, there's a lot of people that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Saw him physically. Something has changed. Yet Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, let me direct you to that. Jesus said before he left them the last time, Jesus said... Verse 4, being assembled together. Well, let me start in verse 1. Let's just get the context here. This is Luke writing. He said, the former treatise, meaning the gospel of Luke, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Began means he's not done. He didn't say all Jesus did and taught. Began means it's, it's expected for it to continue. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he had through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, meaning crucifixion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, there's 50 days between the Passover and the, and the uh, day of Pentecost. Three days he was in the heart of the earth and the, he went to the depths of hell and paid the price for mankind. So that leaves a 47-day period. Now, the Holy Ghost says through Luke in, in this verse that we just read that 40 of those 47 days, Jesus was popping in and out. So I guess that means that for the last week before the day of Pentecost, they've been left on their own. To whom he also showed himself alive after his passion, crucifixion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Boy, I'd like the tapes from that. Because that's going to constitute the, the entirety of what they know. That's going to constitute the entirety of their knowledge prior to the church really becoming established in Acts chapter 2. 
What did Jesus consider in a 40-day period? What did he consider important enough to teach them so that the church would be built in the way that he said that it would? Upon this rock, the knowledge that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, shall I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Man, this must have been some good teaching. To baby Christians, brand new Christians, less than two months old in the Lord, Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, there's Jesus' instruction, it's in red, we know he said it, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Well, according to the Holy Ghost, his record here in Luke, it was seven days after. They didn't know that. They didn't know how long they were waiting. Verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Notice these baby Christians, after hearing for 40 days the things that Jesus taught them concerning the kingdom of God, the very ones that are going to be the foundation of the church, they're still concerned about being out from under Roman rule. Their concern is political. You're going to get us out from under these Romans. You're going to give us our own country again. You're going to set us free like it used to be in the Old Testament. And Jesus answered and said, it's not unto you or it's not, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But here's what he's wanting them to wait for. Here's the reason he tells them to wait. Verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in all of Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is the last miracle that Jesus did for them. And it was a rapture. He was caught up into heaven. What's the next miracle Jesus is going to do for the church? A rapture. Where he comes back. So while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, I can imagine so, I'd have been there all week. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? What do you mean, what are we looking up into heaven for? Did you not just see Jesus go up? Of course, to the angels, it was no big deal. But the point is, get to work on the things that Jesus told you to do. Which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, same way, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. That's talking about the rapture. So what do they do? Verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. What are they praying? Last thing Jesus said. Is wait for the promise of the Spirit. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We don't have any information or anything that would indicate to us that there's anything that they would be praying for other than the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I mean, if that's what Jesus said to wait for, he's already told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but don't go without the Holy Ghost. Don't go without the power of the Spirit. Folks, that for me sums up a lot of what the church world thinks that or is trying to do as far as the fulfilling the commandment of jesus fulfilling the great commission 
We're trying to go into all the world, but we don't have the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, don't try one without the other. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, what is he telling them? He's telling them that the power of the Holy Ghost is going to come upon them. Who is the Holy Ghost? Who is the Holy Ghost? Folks, the Holy Ghost is a miracle worker. The Holy Ghost is the one that did the miracles and healed the multitudes when Jesus was here on the earth. Jesus said so. The Holy Ghost is the one that did the miracles and performed the miracles through Moses, through Joshua. He's the one that made the sun stand still. He's the one that made the walls of Jericho fall. He's the one that parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River. He's the one that made the sun go backwards in Isaiah's day. He's the one that raised the dead in many cases and all the miracles that we talked about and many others that we never even got to. He is the miracle worker of the Godhead. And he did all of these things before his dispensation. Dispensation just means time. He did all of these things before his time. Jesus is saying, wait for the time to begin when the Holy Ghost is poured out in a new, never never seen before way. So the Holy Ghost is poured out in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Notice it, the sound is just a byproduct. The cloven tongues of fire is just a byproduct. The issue is, verse 4, and they were all filled. Jesus didn't say, wait in Jerusalem until you see the Holy Ghost come like fire. He didn't say, wait in Jerusalem until you hear a sound of a rushing mighty wind. He said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. They were all filled. Notice the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to fill mankind. That's never before happened. And all the time that Jesus has done miracles here on the earth and all the time that uh, well, I, I guess we ought to leave Jesus out of the, the, the mix because he was born of a virgin and it worked differently for him. But every other miracle that has been done prior to this point has been, been done apart from the Holy Ghost filling anybody. Moses was not filled with the Holy Ghost when he did the miracles by the Holy Ghost. Neither was Joshua, neither was Elisha, neither was Elijah, neither was anybody else. The Holy Ghost has never filled anybody. Now, you'll find certain scriptures in the Old Testament where it says certain people were filled with the Spirit. 
What does that mean? It does not mean what this means when it says filled with the Spirit. It means they were commissioned. It means they were equipped with the, by the Holy Ghost for a specific task for a specific period of time. But nobody could have the, the, the Spirit of, of God on the inside of them until after Jesus was raised from the dead. And up until this point when the Holy Ghost is poured out in Acts chapter 2, the only ones that have the Holy Spirit in any measure are the 120, at least that we have record of, are the 120 that are gathered in the upper room. They're the only saved people on the earth. Which tells us there's two works of the Holy Ghost. A work of the Holy Spirit because Jesus breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. There's a work of the Holy Spirit to save mankind. And then there's a work of the Holy Spirit to empower or to fill man. Can't substitute one for the other. Can't be filled without being saved. You can't say when you're saved that you got it all unless you're filled too. Are you with me? So Jesus is saying, wait for the miracle worker. Wait for the miracle worker. Wait for the miracle worker. I want to impress upon you, hammer it in if necessary, that the job of the Holy Ghost is to work miracles. It's not to walk through, with life, through life with you holding hands and singing kumbaya. It's not to make you feel good. It is to bring you into victory, but that's because he works miracles. He doesn't want you to walk in victory so that you can say, man, am I not something? He wants you to walk in victory so you can say, wow, look at what the miracle worker has done. So they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How do we know they were filled? Well, the Holy Ghost, who inspired Luke to write this, tells us the answer. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Folks, you cannot separate this verse in pieces. You cannot say you're filled, but you don't speak with other tongues. And You can't say it and be scriptural. A lot of people are saying it. A big part of the church says it because that's the way they want to believe it, but it's not scriptural. You can't say that you're filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak with other tongues if you're going to be scriptural. And you can't say you speak with other tongues and not be filled. They go hand in hand. John Osteen used to say it's like a pair of shoes. When you buy the shoes, you get the tongues. I'm surprised. I thought you'd heard that before. So what happens? Verse 16. It spills out into the streets and everybody comes gathered together wondering what's going on. Peter explains. Speaking by the Holy Spirit, he said, but that, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, folks, I would submit to you that Peter doesn't know anything about Joel. He's operating from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at the, at the spur of the moment. But immediately, the Holy Spirit starts teaching him so he can speak to the other people about it, speak to all the people about it. And he said, and it shall come to pass. Here's Joel's prophecy, at least part of it that he quotes. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and terrible day of the, the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what is he saying this is all about? He's saying this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? To indwell man. Well, how do we begin? 
whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's talking about two things. He's talking about the same two experiences that they have. He's talking about receiving the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins, what the church world calls salvation. And he's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said was the receiving power. Now, folks, they've already been commissioned to go into all the world. They've already been commissioned. But God seemed to think it was important enough to have the power of the Spirit before you tried to go be a witness unto him in the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know why the church thinks he's changed his mind. If he thought that to begin with, why wouldn't he think that now? God says he doesn't change. We're still living in the same period of time. And that's what I want you to get. Peter says by the Holy Ghost. Here's what the Holy Ghost inspires Peter to say regarding the explanation of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He said, this is what Joel prophesied. What did Joel prophesy? The time period of the Holy Ghost. Joel told us the beginning and the end of the period of time which is known as the dispensation. That's all that means is time period. The dispensation of the miracle worker. The dispensation of the miracle worker. No time before has the Holy Spirit done a miracle because he indwelt someone else. So Peter preaches by the Holy Spirit and he said, this is what Joel prophesied. What did Joel prophesy? The time period of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the time period? From the day of uh, Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2 until the end of the tribulation period. See, where he talks about the sun turning and turning to uh, darkness and the moon into blood, the Bible tells us, John's revelation tells us that doesn't take place until the end of the tribulation period. So what is the dispensation or the time period of the Holy Ghost? It encompasses the church age plus the seven years of tribulation. Now, I'm willing to, to, to participate until the end of the church age. After that, the Holy Ghost is on his own. Because I'm going to be caught up into heaven. Now, how long is that dispensation? Well, so far, it's been 2,000 years. We don't know how long it's going to be before Jesus comes back for the church. I, personally, folks, I don't see how I can go much longer. I don't mean to be alarmist, but I'm very careful about buying green bananas. I believe he could come at any moment. There, there's nothing left to be fulfilled before he comes. But there is something that he talks about that I won't think he wants to have a, a greater measure of, and that's the glory of God in the earth. So what do they do? Well, 3,000 people get saved because of the preaching. What happens after they get saved? Notice it says in verse 42, and they, meaning the, the 120 plus the, now the new 3,000, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And in breaking of bread and prayers, what are they praying for? What are they praying about? Folks, here's what I want to get across to you. I want you to see what the early church, who had no teaching, had nobody to tell them that there was nobody arguing about doctrine. Wouldn't that be nice? They are so brand new. The upside is nobody's arguing about what's right and what's wrong. The downside is they don't know beans. God doesn't want you in any either position. He wants you to know the truth and accept the truth for everybody worldwide. So they're continuing in fellowship, meaning their care for one another, their separation to the things of God, and in breaking of bread and prayers, 
the apostles' doctrine included. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Can I ask you why the signs and wonders are being done? Or maybe I should ask the question this way. Does the, do the signs and wonders that are being done by the apostles, are they being done because it's the will of God to be done and they would be done no matter what? Or does that have something to do with the things they're praying? Now, if they're going to be done no matter what because that's the will of God, then I've got a beef with God. Because he wanted more for them than he wants for us. Meaning the modern day church. Now, that's a lot of church teaching. That's what a lot of the churches believe, a lot of doctrines of the denominations and so forth, that the day of miracles is past. God did things in the early days of the church to prove something, but now he doesn't have anything to prove, so now he's not doing miracles like he did. Well, then God's changed. That's the only conclusion we could draw if that's true. Then God's changed. And if God's changed, that means he's a respecter of persons, which means we've got some pages to tear out of the Bible. I don't believe that's the case. Do you? Well, then what is it about? It's about them starting in the will of God and continuing in the will of God. And that creates a momentum. It creates an atmosphere for signs and wonders and miracles to be done. Folks, I'm going to make a statement that may seem harsh, but do you know the main reason why miracles are not being done in the church world today like we see them uh, recorded in the book of Acts in the early chapters? Because of the prayer life of the church. Now, certainly it has something to do with believing wrong doctrine. And I'm not sure how you could, I'm not sure it would be appropriate to emphasize one or the other. But we can, without question, say that the prayer life of the church has changed. No, I don't think anybody would argue that, would they? They continued steadfastly. That means they're continuing in prayer. And great Fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. People didn't stop being people. They're still going to be themselves. They're still going to have their quirks. People are not completely without sin or or perfect in any way. But Acts chapter 3 tells us that there was a sign and wonder done at the beautiful gate of the temple. The man was healed. The crippled man was healed. I wonder if that had anything to do with what they were praying about. And let me ask you this. What do they know about the word to pray? They've got no Bible. They've got no letters. Only thing they've got is the Old Testament. How is the church supposed to operate according to Old Testament doctrine? They don't even have the Gospels. They've got the Law and the Prophets. So what are they praying? Folks, in my opinion, you judge this for yourself, but they've just been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. What are they doing most, more of than anything else if not speaking with other tongues? In other words, why not use what you just found out was the Holy Spirit that filled you? Now, I don't think that's a question just for the early church. I don't understand why we don't ask that question today. What in the world are you filled with the Holy Ghost for if you're not using it to speak in other tongues? What is it for if not to use What is he there for if not to help you through the exercise of what he gave you? God's word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. James is saying, here's how healing works in the church. When the church walks in love and prays for each other, then the elders just simply make declarations. And on with all, make declarations of faith. And the, and the sick are healed. He said, this is the only process that was made available for healing in the church until it was lost by unbelief. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.